This is Sci-Fi Talk, the podcast on how sci-fi, fantasy, horror, and comics help us explore humanity. We're all exploring what it means to be human these days and redefining our place in this world and maybe even the universe. With this podcast, you and I will take that journey together. We'll look on how those genres and movies, books, video games, and television explore our human condition using my experience as a podcaster since 2005 to guide us to the talented artist in front and behind the scenes. Hi, welcome to Rewind, brand new episode on Star Trek Discovery. Now, usually you can get this only on my premium service, but I'm debuting it here just for all of you to see. So let's get to it. Starting us off is Anson Mount, who joined the cast as Captain Christopher Pike, and he comments on what it's like to join an already established cast. Well, technically, it's hard being the new kid because, you know, you're, you're with a group of people that have found their stride and you're trying to find yours. It's a lot easier if you're all trying to find your stride together. But uh, interpersonally, I couldn't imagine a more welcoming, more hospitable cast. Really, one episode of the Menagerie that showed Pike yeah. together. So I'm hoping that with both of you, we have a chance to develop that relationship and to see what it's like. Is that going to be part of this discussion? I think you get some insight into how their relationship is, is bifurcated into uh, professionalism and uh, a friendship. And the writers do a very good job of covering both those those things and how Pike's the kind of leader. He, yeah, you, you, there is a time for palling around and there's a time for business, but you, it's hard to differentiate between uh, friendships and, and working together, and it's probably a waste of time to try and do so because uh, you want a crew that cares for each other. Do you like me? You, personally? <laughs> I can't stand it. Uh, yeah. The Menagerie is such a beautiful two-part, two-parter, and, uh, and I think, for me, that it's such it's such a quintessential spot because it's so dignified. It's something emotionally driven but logically executed, and that's all about our relationship. And so that showed me that uh, there's great respect and admiration. Were Ethan Peck and also Anson Mount concerned about stepping into these iconic roles and what they knew about their characters beforehand? He's a dead ringer, man. Look at this guy. I'm 45. The only opinion I care about these days is my wife's and my mother's. <laughs> Your wife and who? My mother. Mother. Nice. Yeah, I'm worried. I would, I would like to be liked. I'm going to, you know, ultimately I'll do my best job and that's... That's that, and I'm giving it everything, so. You're great. You're great. Thanks. You're great. You're hot spot. Spot got hot. You got, you're, you're in the panel? That was so sweet. That was very sweet. Hot spot. The only thing I knew, and I don't know how I knew it, is that he probably had good parents, and he definitely had good mentors. And I needed to establish that because of the relationship that crops up between him and Burnham. Up next are Wilson Cruz, who is Dr. Hugh Culver, do apologize for calling him Culver in a previous episode. And also Anthony Rapp, who is Chief Engineer Paul Stamets, who goes first. I've been really uh, sad. I've been very satisfied that the, there's been given time and space to talk about and deal with the aftermath. I'll say. And um, it's really meaningful. And I think it's also very much in the spirit of 
what Trek has always been is you get to know the human beings inside of these starships, you know, and and on a very personal level, any stories storytelling that deals with grief is very meaningful to me. It's something that's been a part of my life, and that uh, so I'm I'm pretty like picky about stories that deal with grief, and so I've been very very satisfied with how it's been approached in this case. And you know, I should have said this earlier uh, on the panel, but. I can also say that, um, you know, a lot of people were upset when Culber was killed off last season. Um, spoiler alert. <laughs> uh, but um, I think when, once you get through this second season, you'll see that there is a reason why he had to, why he had to die the way he, the way he did, when he did. This story will connect all of those dots, and, we'll, and, and where he ends up will be a good explanation as to why. Here's Wilson Cruz on literally playing dead. I, I have to say it was a... It was dark. I, 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 you know, he's my witness. I had to go to a pretty dark place uh, to do some of the stuff that, we, that we've had to go through this season. And, you know, just imagine what it would be like to know what it feels like to be away from the people that you love and the things that you love to do and but we I, I'll say that I was heartened by the response I was very I was really moving to me personally um, and I think the payoff is gonna be amazing yeah, I mean they, and they couldn't do it without doing it if, if there's nothing half-assed about how this happened that, that would be like really dumb <laughs> so it's it's uh, it's earned wait. it's like hard-earned I cannot wait for you guys to see it. So how did you find out about your character's death? No, they didn't tell me right away. They did tell me um, two episodes before. So I had a good month to process that and get all my Puerto Rican anger out about it. Um, which I'm glad none of you got to see. Um, but shortly thereafter, because uh, I think they were still working out how it was going to happen, they, they let me know. Mary Wiseman, who is Sylvia Tilly, on her short Trek episode, having an impact on her character in this series. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know as far as my mom. I love just like adding in a little bit of backstory about like kind of who she's dealing with, where, where she comes from, um, how she became the person she is today, um, and, and, and beginning to see her sort of grapple with situations where she doesn't have as much backup. You know, she, she really leans on all her many mentors in the first season, and this season she'll have to kind of step up a bit more. And so the short will kind of function as, from, from my short, I think it will function more as backstory and, enrich, and an enriching story. If it will uh, come into play in the larger arc of the season, I don't know. I think for right now it's, it's quite standalone, so people can watch either or, and, uh, and it won't ruin the experience of the other, you know, if they don't, if they don't catch up. Doug Jones talks about Saru's short trek, and his home planet. In the short, uh, we, go, we go back and, and discover how he how he grew up and what his curiosity, how, how it got him off the planet. He's the only one of his kind who's ever been off that planet. He's the one who joined Starfleet, and the first to go through Starfleet uh, and become an officer. So, uh, you find out in the short how much fear I did deal with in my in my real world, uh, and and how it became a part of our daily routine. Fear was just like an inherent thing that we just had to live with even though it looks euphoric and vacation like there's something dastardly going on with our prey species with our predator species 
and uh, so we get to know more about all that through the short end and the season two. They kind of they, there's some tie-in. There's more on Channel D's look at Star Trek Discovery taped at New York Comic Con. So stay tuned. This is John Billingsley. I play Dr. Flox on Enterprise. Uh, hi, this is Stephen Kolp uh, from Star Trek Enterprise. This is Ethan Phillips from Star Trek Voyager. Hey, this is Chase Masterson. Hi there. I'm James Dewan, author of Beam Me Up, Scotty. Hi, I'm George Takei. Hi, this is Rene Aubergenois. I play shapeshifter Odo on Star Trek Deep Space Nine, and you're listening to Sci-Fi Talk. Back on Sci-Fi Talk's Channel D documentary series special on Star Trek Discovery. In Mary Wiseman's character, I felt the series fixed an inherent problem that Wesley Crusher had. Yeah, that's just, I mean, I'm interested in stories where people grow. What, what other journey is there, you know, that's interesting yeah. to see? Otherwise, we have no hope for ourselves, you know, so that's nice of you to say. I'm, I'm interested in the journey. I love Wesley Crusher. I love to see a son and a mom, you know. Sure. I, I can't I can't defame him, but I, am, I appreciate that you appreciate that story and also appreciate that whatever shortcoming Selena may have now, she's, she, you know, she's going to develop. She's a young woman. She has a lot, uh, much more to go, a lot more runway to clear. There's more sci-fi talk, so stay tuned. Here's more sci-fi talk with Tony Tolado. Shazad Latif talks about his season one arc. I mean, I had a great arc in the first series, and it was, um, it was a pleasure. It was a pleasure. I could, and I didn't know where it was going to go fully, so I came in first, you know, in prosthetics, and then I was up with Jason Isaacs and Rain, you know, Harry Mudd in a, in a prison cell. So it was a, it was a, it was an epic journey. Um, I loved having that secret. Um, I loved not knowing what we were going to create on the day. You know, these different scenes we would just be thrown in, and it was, it was a joy as an actor to, to play that. Yeah. He likes the fact the series has strong female characters. With what we're doing with the show anyway, these you know strong female characters, you know an inclusive show. Men don't have to be a certain way. Even soldiers don't have to be a certain way. You know all these all these things. I think it's very important. It was important for me to, for me and Sonika as well to play those things and, and Laurel. We reversed the roles a lot, and that was. I think we wanted to do that. Yeah. I hope people have. Yeah, that, like, and I will toot Shazad's horn. I mean, I, I witnessed him campaign for that throughout the season. That he wanted, he wanted to show that side. And he's a real feminist. He's one of the good ones. <laughs> so I want everyone to know that. <laughs> Mary Shifo and Shazad Latif on the Klingon storyline. No, for sure, um, at the end of the first season, so I was very happy to get that call, um, that we were going to explore it a bit more. Um, I think it's nice to keep, even if you go to a whole new storyline, a whole yeah. new world, it's nice that if you're believing in that world, that it's somewhere there, you might see, you still go back and check in on it, you know, it's nice yeah. to see that, it, it yeah. keeps the world real, I think, otherwise if you just keep switching and stuff, you want yeah. something else, you desire something else to see it. Yeah, yeah, and I think that what's been so lovely, I mean, Alex was speaking to this on the panel, that, that we are very very, very tight-knit cast. We really are a family, and I think that the higher-ups recognize that, and, and they enjoyed what was happening with the characters, and they wanted to find out a bit more, and um, I'm very grateful for that. And what about being Klingon? When we started off, they, you know, as the season went on, they, they sort of yeah. honed everything down and made it easier to wear and easier yeah. to bear, and for me, it's the sweat and standing these boots all day, all of that kind of stuff, just after 12 hours, it's like... Yeah, it's yeah. definitely a lot. It's, um, but uh, I would say it does keep you in. I said yeah. before, when we're in that world, you're yeah. really in it. It's yeah. like good mask work. It, it yeah. keeps you in it. You don't. It's not Shazad. It's not Mary yeah. in there. It really feels like you're in this yeah. different place. Yeah, I really found that in episode four. That's why I was saying earlier that the characters found each other. That Laurel and Vogue found each other, and they found 
their romance, and, and it was all very much, we could just, dip, uh, fun, funny fact, I remember early on, like in episode one or something, we were like sitting on the side, both just trying to breathe, and we started talking about friends, we both love friends, and I was just like, I wish someone could document this, and I'm like, oh, in that episode, with the, da, 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 and we're like fully Cleveland's in Cleveland's quoting friends, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if they watch it in the world, then maybe they have the DVDs. Yeah. It's really very Ross and Rachel-like that. Yeah, yeah. 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 Right. We were on a break. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Mention a little bit about it in the first episode. They talk more about this interesting triangle. It still very much plays a part in how we behave with each other. Yeah. You know? Her feelings towards me are affected. We explore all of it. Yeah. It's a love triangle, really. Yeah. 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 What, what we say, our love rhombus. Love because rhombus. technically... I'm like seven people. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know, it's like even yeah. more. Love rhombus. So what kind of leader is Laurel? Oh, yeah, well, I won't say too much, but it's very, her journey is very Greek, it's very Shakespearean. I mean, like, I was looking at, I was looking at Queen Elizabeth, both the historical figure and Queen Elizabeth and, and Richard III. I was looking at just, like, all of these archetypal women, Cleopatra and Hatshepsut, uh, uh, who is, like, the first female pharaoh, who's not really talked about a lot because a lot of her images were destroyed by someone later on. Just very much the symbolic nature of, of a woman rising to power and finding her place and finding the negotiation between her femininity and her masculinity. And I think there's something really evocative and exciting about an alien woman because she, as humans we don't quite gender her the way gender a uh, uh, human woman and uh, but there's a lot she has to it's not just one note she doesn't figure out how to be a leader and done done with it it's actually quite a struggle and a heartbreaking one yeah yeah there's a lot of there's some real jerks in, in <laughs> some of the houses <laughs> Cling on jerks. Yeah, cling on jerks. Really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're usually so cordial. I know. Joining us next was Alex Kurtzman on the tightrope walking doing Star Trek in the 60s and today. Their technical abilities in the 60s were just really different in, in the world of filmmaking than they are now. And if we were going to deliver you those sets now, you'd be very angry about paying $10 for it. So we have to figure out a way to honor the spirit of what those sets represented and those costumes represented. I will tell you that in the premiere episode, when our actors showed up on set with their TOS uniforms, it was awesome. And it was particularly awesome to see them in contrast to the Discovery uniforms uh, and to see those worlds come together. Here's Heather Caden and some of the surprises of season one. And Alex Kurtzman talks about what their aim was to do Star Trek Discovery. Well, one thing we didn't in, intend in the beginning, it was originally a 13-episode order, and the last two episodes were born out of our partners being really happy with it and the network wanting more, and, and I think the writers came up with such... Not, as opposed to just extending the story that was there, really came up with more story than was originally intended, and we got to spend more time and I think got to un uh, unveil a couple of things we wouldn't have otherwise. There's a tremendous learning curve in, at the production level for a show of this size in, in the first season. Are you going to talk about eight? Cause that's what I yeah, so say. like in episode eight, um, the, which is the episode where they go to Pavo, it was our first away mission. Um, there were many things about that episode that didn't exist when we shot it, like the look of the Pavan, for example. Um, and 
when we saw the look of the pavan, we felt that it was not in keeping with the sort of the scope and scale and feel of our show. We, we, we attempted to go practical with the pavan. So we had an actor, a dancer actually, in a costume, and, and it just didn't look right. So when we were editing the show, we decided to make the character. We, we decided to make the character a uh, visual effect, and that really changed the look of everything. So we changed the look of the planet. We changed the look of the species. We changed. I mean, that that used to be a person. It's funny because that's a little bit of the Java story from Star Wars, right? There was a puppet. <laughs> they didn't like it. They cut it out. And then when Java showed up later, you know, or it was actually an actor. It was an actor. It was an actor first, and then they decided to make it a puppet. We're, we take it to the next level. It was a person that looked like a puppet that we turned into a CG character. <laughs> so, <laughs> Roddenberry is always the compass for Star Trek on, on any iteration of Star Trek. And I think what that means more than anything is that his spirit of optimism and his view of diversity and his view of a better and brighter future and the kind of world that we can have is the soul of what Star Trek is. Um, a, a world of gender parity, a world where sexual orientation didn't matter, where the color of your skin didn't matter, that is Star Trek. And that must always be Star Trek. So once we fulfill that and honor that, then each show can have its own identity and should have its own identity. Um, and I think that, that's what it means. So 10 years from now, 15 years from now, there will be somebody else who's doing a new Star Trek show, and that show will feel different. And hopefully they'll still be following the same compass that we and everyone who came before us have been following. Don't forget, you can subscribe and get all of the episodes of Rewind, plus the Mix 100, which are podcasts selected by you, the most popular on my feed, and that's at scifitalkplus.supercast.com. That completes my coverage of Star Trek Discovery Season 2. It does air on CBS All Access. The first season took Star Trek to a new level, and I think this season is even taking it a step further. Alex Kurtzman really tied things up there in a nice bow. Until next time, this is Tony Tolato. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm LeVar Burton, and you're listening to Sci-Fi Talk.